Happy Thanksgiving weekend. I uh, hope you guys had a great weekend, got to enjoy your family, got to be humiliated by the disappointment of your football team. I have a little anxiety if you can't tell. I'm not going to talk about it anymore, but I'm a little disappointed right now. So, you know, I've coming off of Thanksgiving, uh, I think, you know, maybe today you guys had kind of those mirror moments where you got the mirror out, you're walking out the door and you're like, eh, Thanksgiving was rough. Not, not so good with what I see today, but right, I mean, you look in the mirror and even in the morning on the way out the door, like we have a mirror on the way out the door of our house and uh, I never use it. Some of you are like, I can tell. <laughs> and I've got three boys, and the question is, oftentimes in our house, is, did you look in a mirror? <laughs> no. Why? I don't know. Maybe the food on your face or other mysterious substances that are still there from who knows when. Like, that's what a mirror's for, is to take notice of things. Like, we, we just take notice, and so... You know, I thought about that today, and as we, as we kind of unpack the conversation today, it's, it, today's this, this conversation, like, what do you see when you look in the mirror? Now, I know that's a loaded question. Like, I know that that can go a ton of different ways. Some of you are like, I'd rather not talk about it. But, but like, deeper than just, like, face level. So, if you, like, a spiritual mirror. I know that I, I could flip this around and be like, okay, spiritual mirror time. What do you see? What, what do you see? Because I think when we put a spiritual mirror up, some of us, if we're honest, would go, I don't like what's there. I'd rather not face that part of my life. I'd rather keep that part of my life hidden. I'd rather not talk about that. Well, Jesus was great at this. Jesus had these, these spiritual mirror moments all throughout the Gospels. In John chapter 4, he has this a powerful encounter with the Samaritan woman. If you've got your Bible or Bible app or, or anything you want to follow along, we're going to be in John chapter 4, starting in verse 5 today and walking through this encounter. But this is one of those spiritual mirror moments where Jesus says, hey, I know what you see when you look in the mirror, but let me tell you what I see. And that's kind of the contrast I want us to unpack today. So uh, John chapter 4, verse 5 starts out like this. It says, so he came, that's Jesus, came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Now, a couple things at play. Uh, Jews and Samaritans, they didn't get along. They didn't like each other. Culturally, this has been going on for a long, long time, and so that's just the way it was. Uh, if we take it on to verse 7, we're going to see the second character. When a Samaritan woman came to, the wa to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Now, his disciples had gone into town to buy food. So it's just Jesus and this woman. Now, a couple things, really. Uh, Jews and Samaritans, uh, not only did they not like each other, they would not have interacted. So this interaction in and of itself is weird. It's different. It's strange. Um, culturally, uh, men would not address women in public without their husbands present. A Jew would not drink after a Samaritan, so to even ask her for a drink was kind of strange, because um, she even would later on in the conversation be like, what are you going to drink out of? You don't have anything to get water. Oh, and, but at the same time, it was ultra-cultural. You would not deny a stranger a drink of water. A lot of things at play here. 
But something else to know about the woman, a couple things. It says Jesus got there at noon. Now, again, at service level, this really wouldn't make a lot of sense, but this is the hottest part of the day. It's hot. It's a desert climate. Most women came to draw water in the morning or the evening, cooler parts of the day, which would have also meant crowds of people. People. This woman comes alone. She comes by herself. So my automatic question goes, why does she come alone? Now, if you unpack the story as a whole, start to finish, and you dig into a lot of things and study it, you learn a couple things about the woman. The first is this. She's lived a very, very hard life. She's been married five times and now living with the sixth man. She's dealt with shame because this would not have been really looked favorably upon in her community. She was skeptical of others, and this plays out in how she responds to Jesus. She's been wounded, and she's doing her best to hide. When she looks in that mirror, she does not like what she sees. She does not like who she has become. And I think if, if many of us are honest in this room, we would probably raise our hand and say, me too. I'm not comfortable with that. I don't like that. We go on to the, uh, we look back at this question. It seems like a simple, simple question, but there was a lot more at play here. Verse 9, he goes on to say this. It says, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, I am a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? Like she, again, her goal is to deflect Jesus. Again, we relate. Maybe you had some of these interactions over Thanksgiving where you had that awkward family member that wants to just talk about everything and ask you all the inappropriate personal questions. You're like, I don't want to talk about this. And to be honest, I don't want to talk to you about this. That's the tension in this conversation right now between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Culturally, I don't want anything to do with you. And quite frankly, this is not going to be a conversation I want to pursue any further, but that's not where Jesus was going to drop this. He would go on in the next part of the conversation and really kind of turn things and get them a little bit confusing. He starts talking about living water, and the woman automatically responds with sarcasm. Again, doing her best to deflect, using the culture to kind of back out of wherever this conversation was going. But Jesus was ultimately redirecting this conversation towards a pivotal, life-changing moment for this woman. If we fast forward to verse 13 and 14, we pick back up and it says, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water, the water in the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, again, we are desert dwellers. So if someone were to come to your house and offer you, I will give you water that if you drink it one time, you will never have to drink again. We're all like, sign me up. That's better than the water, the water district's deal to get rid of my grass, so I'll take your deal. Right? Like, we would take that. So she would resonate with this. And her response is great. The woman said to him in, in verse 15, she says, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to drink water. Now, she does not grasp what Jesus is talking about. Now, again, sitting here in this room, we kind of understand Jesus is talking about life transformation. I want to change your life. I want to give you something. She's still in the mode of, you want something from me. Everyone else has. You seem to be no different. What is it that you want from me? 
The conversation then begins to take this intense kind of change. Jesus gets out that spiritual mirror. He gets out that mirror and he says, you've been married five times and you're living with a sixth man. And they go on about this conversation. She begins to continually deflect, like basically taking the mirror and like trying to hide it and going like, no, 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 let's not talk about that. Let's talk about our culture and the differences that we have. And Jesus keeps bringing it back to, hey, I know that's your past, but that doesn't have to be your future. And he keeps using this mirror. And so about a year ago, I started kind of having to face the mirror myself. Had these mirror moments of going, what is it that I see in the mirror? Because to be honest, I didn't like it. I wasn't comfortable with it, and I had done my best to hide it. About a year ago, I really kind of had to face some of the anxiety and fear that I was dealing with. And, and this wasn't just I worry every now and again. This was I was having physical problems from anxiety. Like I was having trouble breathing at times and getting worked up. And, and so I went to the doctor and I got all the physical work up, checked out my heart, checked out my lungs, all this kind of stuff. At the end of the, the, the visit, and, and these are my words, not her words, she just says, basically, it's in your head. And I'm like, that's not helpful. That's not helpful in the least bit. And, then, and, and right on top of that, I was about to lead a mission trip overseas, about 15 people. And I was supposed to lead them as a confident leader. And I can remember sitting on the couch that day in my living room, and I was losing my mind. I just, I, I couldn't get it together. I was going, I, I remember I said over and over, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. You know, my wife was at a loss. She's like, I don't know. I don't know what to do. And so I, I just sucked it up, and, 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 I, and I got on the plane. And I faked it as best I could for the 10 days that we were overseas. And to be honest, I didn't really fool everybody. I had a few people ask me, hey, what's going on? You don't, you don't seem yourself. And I just kind of said, well, I'm just, I'm feeling a little off and whatever. So I, I, I get home. I make it through the trip. And I got home and, and uh, I, I talked to some people a little bit about it. And, and I got a little bit of counseling. But here's what I began to tell myself. I began to tell myself, keep it to yourself. Don't talk about it. You sound crazy. You're a pastor. You're supposed to have this under control. Don't burden anybody else with this. Here's what I said. If someone cared, they'd ask. That's what I believed. That's what I told myself. And so I did my best to run from it, hide it, avoid it, not talk about it. This went on for months. This became my norm. I didn't talk about it. I didn't want to talk about it. And I got bothered when people would try to over-spiritualize these moments, like, well, just pray about it. To be honest, I didn't want to pray about it. I'd already done that, and I didn't feel like it got me anywhere. Or just have more faith. Just believe more. That's like telling someone with a broken leg, just get up and walk it off. Right? You, you wouldn't say that to them. But yet, that's sometimes what we say in those moments because we just feel like we have to say something. This past summer, I hit a breaking point again, and I remember sitting down, and I was writing in my journal, and I, and I said, I'm going to pull out all these verses from the Bible about anxiety, and, and uh, I'm just going to write them out. And so I did. I wrote them out, and I, and I have this jumbled mess of notes and thoughts, and, and I wrote this one phrase that says, he still cares. 
But to be honest, in that moment, I don't know that I fully believed it. I just, I was like, I don't know. I don't know. Because I'd never felt this way, and I literally felt out of control. I couldn't articulate it in words. I just remember feeling like, I don't know how I feel, but I just know I don't feel good. I just, it doesn't feel right. Everything feels off. Everything feels like my world is about to implode. So on July 31st, in the early morning hours, I was snapped awake to the words, so, so good, resonating over and over and over in my mind. Now, I don't mean I was laying awake and just started, like I was literally dead sleep and awake, and that was immediately what was running through my mind. And then it was as though someone turned on a television and started playing all the things that God had been doing over the last few months of my life that I had just overlooked, not recognized, not acknowledged. And it was on repeat. Laid there for a little bit and thought, when I wake up in the morning, I need to write this down. So I went back to sleep. I have no idea what time it was. Went back to sleep. I woke up the next morning and I started journaling this because I'm like, I got to write this down. I don't know what this means yet, but this means something. I've never experienced anything like this in my life. And so I start writing and I get to this second phrase that hit me as I was literally pinning it on the paper. And it says this. It says, the prison you are in is the prison you have chosen. And I remember sitting there and I was like, What? And I know it's easy to start thinking, okay, the, the, the prison's anxiety and the fear and all this stuff that was gripping you and that was totally paralyzing you in times, but that wasn't it. That wasn't the prison. It wasn't the prison. I realized that I was in this place because I had been imprisoned by the lies that I'd chosen to believe. My prison had become isolation. And so I started asking the question, you know, it's that moment, it's that mirror moment when you're faced with the mirror, you're faced to look in the mirror, and you hear this moment back from Jesus. He says, hey, this is your choice. You can choose. Stay in isolation where you are, or come with me. Same thing with the woman. When Jesus brings out the mirror and goes, you can keep going the way you're going, or you can come and let me show you what I see, what I see for your future. And so I started asking the question, well, how did we get here? And so I think all of us would resonate in this and we'd say something derailed us to start all of this off. Maybe it was sin. Maybe it was circumstances that happened to us. Maybe it was hurt. It was pain. It was neglect. Whatever it was, something sparked it for us. And from there we began to spiral into this whole world of believing these lies. And so maybe this is where you're at. Maybe, maybe you resonate with something, some, one of these. Your worth and your value are tied to your ability to provide or perform. Men, I know that many of you in this room have this lie hanging over your head right now. It's the fix it or you are a failure mentality, that, uh, the self-reliance, everything revolves or everything uh, relies on you. Me too. Maybe it's God's faithfulness or favor is predicated on my ability to insert here. Maybe you feel like, well, hey, God's clearly not interested in what I'm going through. I have thrown it out. I have gone to church. I have been to, I've done all those things. And yet, and so we withdraw into our cave of isolation. Or maybe it's, well, nobody should know about this. You probably should keep this quiet. 
pornography, addictions, sins, wounds, what's been done to you. Maybe it's suicidal thoughts. Maybe we believe they'll, they'll judge you. Or if you share, then this will happen. Or maybe it's like mine. No one cares. Or else they'd ask, so just stay silent. Don't be a burden to somebody else. Or it's, hey, it's, it's your fault this happened to you. And we believe, well, if only I would have. That's not true. Or lastly, there's no hope for you. This cannot be fixed. I know some of you are under the mountain of depression or mental illness, and you believe that about yourself. This can't be fixed. Nothing can be done for you. And so you isolate. You step back into that cave. And, and, and here's what happens. When we believe, when we become, when we, these lies become our truth, we believe that we must battle in isolation. We try to sort it out in the darkness of our own prison. But here's the truth. Here's the truth. Freedom is found in being known. Freedom is found in being known. That day, that woman encountered Jesus. It was one of these moments where he's like, hey, here's what you see. But let me tell you what I see. I see a woman that's worth dying for. I see a woman that's worth saving that's what I see. And guess what she did? She encountered Jesus. She encountered the truth about herself from Jesus' vantage point, from Jesus' view of her in the mirror. And she went racing back into the community, and she says, here's what she leads with. This is, an, this is incredible. She says, hey, you've got to come meet this guy. You've got to come meet this guy. He told me everything that I'd ever done. Right, if we've led with that, you'd be like, I don't want to meet him. <laughs> Pass. Right? We would have just said no. Because she had this moment, at the end of their conversation, she's it's like, hey, well, the Messiah's going to come at some point. And Jesus goes, that's me. That's, that's me. I'm right here. And I think sometimes if we're honest, we wouldn't recognize Jesus if he stood right in front of us. Because he's maybe not what we expected. We expected judge and jury. We expected condemnation. We expected him to look in that mirror and see exactly what we see. He's like, hey, that's not what I see. I know you. It's time to let somebody else know you. So for me... I had to kind of make that shift as I began to face some of these truths. And so I took what I saw to be an incredible risk, and I talked about it. I told somebody. And guess what? They didn't judge me. Some people even said, me too. And it actually helped. And so I want to give you maybe some of the things that I have learned that says, hey, how do you move forward? How, how do we do this? How do we become known? How do we do all this? So the first thing is this, is share. Vulnerability is the fastest way to strength. Now, I know that seems very backwards, and the word vulnerability gets a bad rap, but this is where it all starts, is being known. Let somebody know you. God never created you to live in isolation. He created you to live with others, Adam and Eve, 
uh, right there. He says, hey, man, it's not good for man to be alone. Let me create somebody to do life alongside of him. They can do life together. I mean, let's be honest. If we could fix it on our own, we would have fixed it by now. And so are you willing to try something else? So bring who you are right now and admit, and I know admit's a bad word too, I'm weak. And I need help seeing what Jesus sees in that mirror because I don't see it myself. For those of you who are walking alongside of somebody and helping them, can I just give a little bit of insight? Don't just say, hey, just pray about it. Get it together. It can't be that bad. Well, it could be worse. That's not helpful. Because we're called to hurt with people who hurt, and we're, we're commissioned to go meet people in the midst of their mess. So let's get dirty. Surrender, the second thing. Don't wait to seek help, and at the same time, don't wait to offer help. And we have countless resources here as a church, things like CR, AA, NA, counseling, grief share, all of these things, small groups, places that you can get to know people and be known by people and unpack things and learn about Jesus and engage in that. Because here's the truth, you're never too far gone to get help, but you have to be willing to receive it first. This whole concept of surrender was something I was challenged with back at the beginning of October. I heard a gal talk about it, and it totally shattered my framework of everything. And so this has become something that each day I try to get intentional about doing and just saying, okay, Jesus, I don't know what this looks like. I don't even really know that I know how to do it, but I'm just going to say this. I surrender. I cannot do this on my own. Because God's strength shines through the brightest in our weakness. Third thing is this, surround. Surround. Uh, meet with Jesus or be Jesus to somebody. And I know this is probably the most cliche thing I've said because you're like, I don't even understand what that means. It means this. You need to get to know Jesus because when you get to know Jesus, you get to know who he says that you are, which is the most transformative part of all of this. That's what happened when this woman met Jesus and she had that moment in the mirror with him. Let me tell you who I am because it's going to make this all the more powerful when I tell you who you are. So get to know people who know Jesus really, really well because Jesus empowers his people through the Holy Spirit. And so if you want to get to know Jesus, do life alongside of people who are deeply embedded with Jesus. So church, the early church filled in the gaps for other people. So my call to you today as the church, fill in the gaps for others. Do not stand and let people walk in life alone in isolation. Run to them, walk with them, and fill in the gaps. It is time that we come through. And it's in relationships like these that we begin to understand that we are not alone. You're not parenting alone. You're not trying to heal your marriage alone. You're not trying to get mentally or emotionally healthy on your own. And maybe today your first step is to start a relationship with Jesus. You just need to start there. 
So I'm going to invite you today at the end, go to our comments, our prayer room. Our team wants to help you start a relationship with Jesus today. Because you need to understand who he is so that you understand more about who you are. And that changes everything. But here's what I love. When we wrap up this lady's story, you know, Jesus, I mean, if you could have imagined, I mean, sometimes I'm, I'm kind of making this up as I go a little bit, but, you know, Jesus walked around with a mirror in my mind, right? Not like the physical mirror, but he, he, he brought around this mirror to people of going like, hey, tell me who you see. Now let me tell you what I see. Jesus had that moment with this woman in Samaria because, again, Jews did not go through Samaria. They would have gone around Samaria even if it took them longer because they didn't want to. Which leads me to believe this. Jesus goes in pursuit of people. This encounter was not by chance. It didn't just happen. Jesus was there on that day, at that hour, on purpose. Which tells me this. He still does that today. He does that for people like you and me. And he's carrying one of these and he's saying, hey, tell me about yourself. And then let me tell you what I see when I look at you in here. Because it's, it's not what you see. He is constantly, constantly, constantly intersecting with your life, whether you recognize it or not. Much like the woman didn't have a clue who she was talking to until he told her. You and I have encounters with Jesus all the time that we don't know, we don't recognize, because we don't know him. But he wants to tell you who he sees. He wants to tell you about yourself. He wants to speak some truth over you. He wants to free you up from isolation, invite you into relationship, and set you free to live in relationship with other people that you can be known and find that freedom. And so here's what I leave you with is this. You have a savior looking for you. You have others who are longing to know you. You have freedom offered to you. And so your invitation is to lay it down and be known and allow Jesus to stand in the gaps. Let me pray. Father, today we're, we're just humbled by the way that you love us and the way that you care about us, that you show concern for us, that you go out of your way to meet with us. That you're not afraid to engage with us even if everyone else thinks whatever about us. And God, we also know that we're bigger than the lies that the enemy tells us because we know that he's on the prowl. He would love nothing more than to isolate us, separate us, and tell us, hey, deal with this on your own in your own prison because nobody else wants to help. And Jesus, today we claim your truth. But that's not true about us. That's not the way you think about us. That's not the way you view us. So God, I pray for, I pray for your presence this week to be in our lives, to be evident that we cannot deny that you are there. And that God, that we would be willing to get to know you and we would be willing to become known by others. So God, give us the confidence this week to have some conversations with people. We begin to talk. We put words to the, what we're feeling and you would help set the, the, the healing in motion, help us to take the right next steps. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.